Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. We're just going to continue with our series on how to be rich. Now, if you've joined us and you're wondering what that's uh, about, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've learned a couple really interesting things. Like, even though that you don't feel rich, do you know that you are? In fact, we learned, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks, but just so you know, if you're a guest and you're like, why is this pastor saying to people to get rich? Well, you're already rich. Uh, we want to be rich, which means that we bless people around us. You know, we want to be rich towards God. What do you say? When you do this to the least of these, you do it to me we want to bless the least of these and that's why how we how do we be rich people we be rich towards God we be rich towards people I I think that that's pretty important and we learned some interesting things like for example the more uh, money people make the less generous they become it kind of seems a bit strange doesn't it you'd think that the more money people make the more margin they'd have to be generous actually works the opposite way also if you earn over $46,000 and you live in Australia then you're in the top 4% of earnings globally it's just kind of shocking isn't it you know and if you've heard that a couple of times I reckon it's week three it's probably starting to sink in now you could probably get up and do this next week for me I might even outsource that part of it but but I think it's important that you understand particularly if you're a guest or if you haven't been able to be here over the last couple of weeks what all of this is about so is that okay awesome it's the last day of uh, autumn isn't it yeah I know I feel bad about it too what do we we start winter tomorrow and uh i always think like we're starting winter tomorrow i I want things to be headed north you know what i'm saying i want the sun to come out and 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 it's only going to get darker from here it's true but the shortest day is will soon be upon us the shortest day with the least amount of daylight and then i feel better about that i feel like we're on the upside it feels like wednesday no it's hump week yeah hump day you know you you got there and we're headed back towards summer. I love summer. I don't like winter. And uh, the good thing about winter is you can get warmer. But you know, the other thing is that a lot of people get sick, don't they? And, uh, you know, I was driving the car home on Friday from the city. It took me two hours to get back. Couldn't believe it. Never make that mistake again to leave it, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon. So I'm, I'm driving home and, you know, this probably doesn't seem that important to you, but, but I sneezed. Oh, I know. I sneezed before, but something different about this sneeze because sometimes you sneeze because there's dust in the air or something like that. But I sneezed and I said, I think I've got something. Have you ever had that sneeze? Like everyone in my household has been sick. And I don't know if you do this, but this is what I do. If everyone around me is sick and I run the gauntlet, sometimes I come through and they're starting to get better. You know what I say? I say, I've made it. I said, I did it. My immune system is, is so powerful. It's so strong. I ran the gauntlet. Y'all got sick, but not me. It's like, must be maybe God's favor upon me or something. I don't know. But I feel like I made it. I ran it. I made it. I'm not sick. And then does it ever happen to you that when people are starting to get better, you sneeze and you're like, oh boy. I feel like I caught something. I felt like that, you know. And I tell you what, because it's, it's not the sneeze. It's the fact that that sneeze will link to something bigger. It's like, you know, I feel like something was coming. So I, uh, I prayed and I got on some cold and flu tablets. That was my two-pronged approach to that. And, uh, and started to sort of get better. Well, just, just, let's just overwhelm it, you know. 
and, and, and I felt like I started to get better. But you know, when you, when, when you sneeze right, I, the reason I was like, oh, great, is because I realized it was a symptom of something else that was bigger. You know, it's a symptom. I want to talk to you today about a symptom of something that's bigger. I want to speak about traps for the rich. And uh, I, I want to speak out of a passage. It's in Timothy. It comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We actually looked at the second half of this last week. We're going to look at the first half. I did it in reverse order. So we're going to look at the first half of this uh, scripture today. And Paul writes this letter to Tim, to young Tim, who is a, a pastor. He's an up-and-comer. And he's about to lead a mega church. They had about 15,000 people. And so Paul, caring about young Tim, he writes this letter to him. And uh, also, this, this passage of scripture that we're reading is one of the most uh, extensive passages that Paul wrote. Now, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? he wrote what we're about to read. And it was important back then. It's still important today. So what we're going to do is we're going to read that together because Paul wanted to tell Tim some things and we think it's going to be helpful to us. All right. So this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Don't you hate it when you pierce yourself with a pang? It's just so uncomfortable, isn't it? I know you know what that means. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you that your word speaks to, 
speaks to us this morning. We pray, God, that our hearts would be open, that, Lord, that we would hear something from you today. I pray that for those of us that maybe, you know, we're just trying to see our way through this series or understand it, Lord, I pray that we would just come today and say, God, speak to me about my own life. We believe that your word is uh, profitable for teaching, sometimes even correction. God, we just pray that today we just sit, we listen, we learn. God, I pray that today we learn to love you more than when we came in. Lord, we just commit this next moment to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Symptoms are not the problem. Symptoms are not the problem. You ever gone to the doctor? And you describe what's going on with your body. And what are you describing to them? You're going to the doctor to see the expert about your symptoms so they can tell you what the problem really is. I'm not a car guy. I love cars. I love cars. I know that one day God wants me to drive an Aston Martin Vanquish. I know that, right? I got it in a dream. I'm sure it was from God, you know. But I'm not a car guy in the sense that if something goes wrong with it, I honestly have no idea what it is. I mean, I can guess, but I I really don't know. And I've called the mechanic on a number of occasions and they say, what's wrong with it? I'm like, that's why I'm calling you. They're like, well, can you describe it to me? No problem. It's it's making a, a clicking sound. What does it sound like? What do, you, what do you want me to make a mechanical noise with my mouth? Like, yeah, it's like a click. click. Well, it's, it's more of a tick, really. Was it a click or a tick? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm calling you. It's like, I'm going to see you because I can't make that sound with my mouth, you know? So you go in there and you describe it and they say, they kind of look at you and they say, we're going to be able to charge this guy heaps. And then they, because they know I don't know. And then, uh, you know, they, they just, they, you tell them what it is and they take the car, they look at it, you come back and they say, this is what the problem was, you know. The only way I road test it is I'd take it for a drive. If it's still making the same noise, I know I got ripped off, you know. But, but that's the, the, the symptom. I'm describing the symptom, but the symptom is not the problem. Paul writes this letter to young Tim, who's, who's going to plant this mega church. And he writes this to him and he says, Tim... I'm going to describe some symptoms to you. So when you, when you hear these things or when you, when you see these things, you'll know that something's wrong. And you'll know that that's not the problem because he tells us the problem later on is that their eyes are not actually on Jesus. Their eyes are on other stuff. But he says, this is the kind of stuff you need to keep an eye out for. When you have a church of 15,000 people, you're going to attract all kinds of people along to that. And This is what you should look out for. And what does he say? He says, you know what? You should look out for people that have got an unhealthy craving for controversy, quarrels about words, you know, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, those constant frictions, you know. But these people that have come into the church, like Tim's dealing with something at the moment, these people are loud. In other words, they've got an opinion and they think that they're right. And when you've got people that are really loud and very vocal and they think that they're right, wow, they're some of the hardest people to teach. 
you know, they're really hard to, to, to correct. And he's dealing with this issue right now. So they've got all these opinions. Why are they so loud? Well, I mean, they're loud because they're really confident in their own assertions. Where do they get so confident about their assertions? I mean, it's kind of clear in this scripture that it's all about false teaching. So what's the problem here? Well, really confident people that are loud that have got opinions about doctrine are teaching things that are not true. And do you know where their confidence has come from? We find out later on in the passage that the confidence has come from the fact that they're rich. And they think that they're really smart. And sometimes people do that. I'm really good at making money, so I must be a really smart person. They think that their riches are a sign of God's endorsement. And they think that because they're wealthy, that they can sort of teach what they want. They must be right in their doctrine also. If you're smart enough to be rich, you're smart enough to get all your theology correct. Only that they don't have it. And see, this is what Paul says. He says their wealth is not a sign of their superiority endorsed by God. No, their wealth is a sign of their their conceit. The word conceit actually means to be arrogant, to be so blinded by your own pride that you become stupid. That's what the meaning is. It said the word stupid when I looked it up. You become so confident in your own assertions, so convinced that you're right, that you tell everyone what you think, and you think that because you're wealthy, you're smart, and because you're smart, you're right. And he says that that is a real problem that's coming through for Tim. Their conceit, their arrogance has actually brought about their blindness. These silly rich people. Just silly rich people. You know what they did? They, man, they just made a, a really obvious mistake to all of us. They, they, they made this mistake. They forgot to avoid the consumption assumption. They thought that everything that came to them was for them. So they're building rich lives and they're becoming more wealthy. And as they begin to build this life out and everyone sees how rich they are, they go, that's a sign of God's endorsement over their life. Silly rich people. They didn't realize that what came to them was for someone else. That what came to them was for people that needed it in the community. That what came to them was meant to be used to honor God. You know, James, he says a really similar thing in this passage that he writes. He writes it, it says at the top of the passage there, warnings to the rich. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. I, I hope that's a metaphor because it's a really weird picture if it's not. It says, you've laid up your treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and, and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. 
You know, when I read that passage, it's really interesting. It says that you've laid up your treasures and those treasures that you've laid, laid up, which I'm sure people thought were building a great life for themselves, really interestingly become the evidence that points towards them at the end of their life. It's what that scripture is saying. It says, you've stored up some good things on earth and you thought that you were building this great life, but all the stuff that you kept that you thought was saying, you're smart, you're intelligent, you're wealthy, your doctrine is right. You thought that your riches that were laid up, you thought that it was saying all those things about you. Well, James says, that's not what they're saying. You're actually saying to stack up evidence against your own life and what would a person who kept all their riches what would their riches say about their values because your wealth actually says something about your values and when Paul writes to Timothy what he's saying in this passage is, he says, when you see all those things that we read before, he goes, they're symptoms of a bigger problem. And you know what the problem is? The problem was not that they were wealthy. The problem was that they were following their wealth, that they were following their money. The problem was that they were interested in money and they were painting over the surface of their greed this thin veneer of spirituality and arrogance that said, I must be right about everything I think because I'm rich, therefore I'm also right. They're trying to make it spiritual, but that wasn't working. And this is the issue that he's addressing here. You know, you need to know that, come on, let's get on the same page for a minute, church, right? Let's get on the same page. You've got to tune into this. If you miss this, you're going to miss everything that I'm saying, right? It's not a sin to be wealthy, okay? In fact, you know what my hope is? My hope is that for everyone that's here today, that you become, by the end of your life, more wealthy than you are right now. Because I just kind of believe that if the wealth of the world belongs to the people that know how to use it, we're going to live in a better future. Does that make sense to you? So come on, come into agreement with me right now. It's not a sin to be wealthy. But if you follow wealth, it will lead you astray. If you follow it, it will lead you astray. And the reason you need to understand and know this today is because if you don't look at what the symptoms are, you could be being led astray and not even realize it. Because the funny thing is, is that these people that we're reading about, they didn't realize it either because they were sure that they were right. So we should pay attention to it to make sure we're not being led astray. It's like that story of Hansel and Gretel, you know? And, and, and you know, they lead the breadcrumbs they leave the breadcrumbs so that they can find their way out of the forest. And as they start to follow those breadcrumbs, the birds come along and snatch it away so they can't find their way out. They become truly lost. And then in the middle of being lost, they think they find the answer to their, they find their salvation. You know, they find a house in the middle of the forest that's made out of gingerbread. I mean, that's just got warning written all over it, does it not? I mean, if you saw it, you would just run. But these guys, they're so lost. It's as close as they're going to get to hope. So they go in there. You know the rest of the story. They end up being trapped 
They end up getting trapped by the thing that they thought was helping them. You know, it's exactly the same way with people that pursue riches. It actually ends up trapping them. And, you know, Paul writes this and he tries to remind them. He says, guys, you know what? Understand this. Listen to this. This is so relevant to to all of us here today. You can't take it with you. You just can't take it with you. It's never going with you. And I, I mean, when I read this scripture that you can't take it with you, you know, it's, you came into this world with nothing and you'll leave this world with nothing. That scripture really spoke to me because it reminded me of a, a time when I made this mistake when I was younger. When I was younger, I was probably about six or seven years old and I decided at home that, you know, my parents are sitting here this morning. I just didn't like the way that you guys were running things in the house. You really would have benefited from my advice at six. I don't like the way things are happening here. You guys got it wrong. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave. When I leave, I'll start my own thing. It'll be way better than anything that they've got to offer. Oh, you know, my mum didn't wait till the end of my life to reinforce this fact into my life that you leave the world with nothing. She said, you leave this house, you leave with nothing. I don't know how this happened but I was suddenly physically naked <laughs> and I and and mom said you want to leave this family you'll leave with nothing and at the time it still seemed like a good idea <laughs> well, let me tell you something it was a cold morning that day I got pushed outside door slammed in my face I was standing outside for all of about three seconds. I thought, this was such a bad idea. And so I'm naked. But this is before school in the morning. Car drives past. I saw, you know, when the, when the exhaust, you see it's the exhaust, the heat of the exhaust spinning behind the car. I breathed out of my nostrils. I saw the mist come from my own nostrils. Have you ever instantly been filled with regret? This was me. I said to myself, I can make it to the back door before mum gets there. I'm pretty quick on my feet. I began to, ran, to run down from the front door around to the, to the back door. And I remember looking in the bay window just as I was making that run. I looked. And as I looked, I saw the flash of a dressing gown. <laughs> I thought, she's coming for me. I've got I to get to that back door. But I was quicker than her. And I got in the back door. And she ran and slammed it, but with me inside. And I looked at her, I said, I've revised my earlier argument. I'm happy to stay. And she let me. This is, you know, I understood that, you know what, I, I, I was built into me. This is what came to me when I read this passage. You come to the world with nothing. You leave the world with nothing. In fact, this is what John Stott said. John Stott said that life is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. That's what life is. You arrive naked and you leave naked and the stuff in the middle, this is called your life. You know what happens? You know what happens is that people get the middle part wrong sometimes when they mistake the purpose between the two parts of nakedness. They mistake the reason why we come and they think it's about the wrong stuff. And it's so unfortunate because it ends up being too late for some people. You know, it says that they fall into a trap. You know who falls into a trap? People that aren't paying attention. You know, like, it doesn't say that they, that they did a, like, they did a bomb into the, 
They didn't do a bomb into it. They fell into it. They fell into temptation. No, they didn't run, do a dive into temptation. They fell into it. Do you know who falls into something? Someone who's right on the edge and doesn't realize that they're on the edge. Someone that's on the edge of something, they have no idea, and they, they, they're not watching where they're going. They fall in. In fact, the words that it uses, it says it's a snare. It's like a trap, you know. It's like bait and hook. You bite down, and suddenly you're hooked. And, you know, this passage is really saying that these people, they don't realize, they didn't understand that that was the issue, but it just ended up becoming a problem for them later in life. They were unable to recognize when money had them. That's what they, the issues that they had back then, I think we can still have these issues today. I'll tell you two really quick stories. I've shared this story before, but it's probably one of the best ones I have. I remember working with my boss, and uh, we're on the way home from a client visit. And this is before I came into ministry, and my boss was very, very wealthy. Her husband was a developer. She was very rich. We are driving rich among rich people. So we're driving home, and as we're driving home, she, um, we're talking about you know, giving and generosity. Don't know how it came up, but we're talking about it. Nice mention that I had a, a sponsor child. And she says, wow, a sponsor child, how do you afford that? So, well, it's easy. I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's, you know, it's a couple bucks a day. And I looked at this person who has so much more money than I do. I said, this wouldn't be hard for you to afford. She said, listen, if I had an extra couple of dollars per day, I know where I'd put it. I'd probably put it against the house, but I wouldn't be able to spend it there. And she said, as if that was evidence, she said, so you see, I could never really afford a, a sponsor child. Couldn't believe what I was hearing. I remember going out for lunch with a couple of my work colleagues sometime later. And as we're headed out for lunch, um, someone says, money's the root of all evil. And there's a big group of us there. I said, nah, that's not true. I said, the love of money is the root of all evil. I said, you see, money in the hands of the right person can do a lot of good. I said, but money in the hands of, a, of, of an evil person can do a lot of evil. You see, money just takes on the personality of the person who's holding it. You see, something about money, when you love it, it becomes your master. Jesus said, you can only have two masters. You'll love one, but you'll despise the other. You can only have two masters. So which is it going to be? I want to tell you about three traps for rich people. Make sure that you don't fall into any of these. Here's the first trap. The first trap is when people begin to identify their greed as need. And you can justify it so easily. You know, I mean, the, the truth is, I, I love it if I can get new shoes. I love it if I can get new clothes. And I can find ways to sort of justify it. I, I, I love getting those things. I love iPads and gadgets and, and, and different things. I love those things. And you know, they're ministry tools, yeah? So I really need them. You know what would be a really great ministry tool? A spa at my house. I've been pitching that to my wife for a number of years now. You know, because if people were to come over, you know, all the pressures of the world these days, they could relax in my spa. I could counsel people from my spa. You know, hey, sit down, take a load off. Let the jets massage your back. Chill out. It's a ministry tool. You know, I can justify anything I want. When I start identifying my greed as need, I know 
that I'm being trapped by my riches. I know that I'm beginning to be near the edge. I don't want to live that life. That's the first one. People begin identifying their greed as need. Here's number two. People become addicted to desire. (laughs) You know, people can become addicted to anything. You may have seen this TV show. It's called My Strange Addiction. I watched a show about a woman that was addicted to eating chalk. Like chalk that you run on a blackboard with. Couldn't stop. I watched another episode because it was such an interesting series about a woman that was eating plaster. Like cement sheeting. Couldn't stop. Could People can get addicted to anything. And you know what? People get addicted to all kinds of things. You know, people can become addicted to desiring stuff themselves. A German philosopher, Schopenhauer, he said this, gold is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. You see that water, they keep drinking it. It's just dehydrating them. And they drink more thinking that this will be the time I get hydrated, but it doesn't happen. People can become addicted to desire. Here's the third one. They build a life that reflects their God. They build a life that reflects their God. How am I doing here? Let me, let me just say this. I, I, I remember growing up with people that, that moved into the city, but not just, you know, got well-paying jobs, but they somewhere along the line, they thought they were better people. I've met those people. They like to talk about money. I remember hanging out with my kids one day and I said to them, um, hey, you know what, what? I said to my kids, hey, what's your favorite color? And then we were sort of going around and sort of talking about it. And I said to this other person, I said, what's your favorite color? They said, BMW gray. I thought, are you kidding me? (laughs) Why would you even say that? I couldn't believe that those words even come out of that mouth. You know what? People begin to build lives around them that reflect what's most important to them. People sometimes overcommit to things that they shouldn't commit to. You know, I work out in the gym in the morning. I know you can't tell, but just take my word for it, right? So I work out in the gym in the morning and I've got this guy who actually is one of the directors of one of the really large building companies. He said, right now, interest rates are dropping. People are overextending themselves. 12 months. When the interest rates go back up and they can't afford their homes, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. They overextend. Why? Because it's more important to build the life that reflects my God. It's more important to do that than to live within my means. They're trapped by their own riches. Overcommit. They can't afford it. They're in trouble. See, there's all kinds of lies that keep you there. How about this? Have you ever heard this? You don't have enough You need a bit more money, particularly if you're thinking about retiring. You need more. You need more. This won't be enough. This is not going to last you. You know that people can think that kind of thing all the time, that they never have enough. And the truth is, it may be true. And I think there's wisdom in understanding that. But there's a difference between wisdom and buying into the lie, the insatiable appetite that continues to pursue riches and wealth when you were satisfied long ago. There's a a danger with seeing yourself as the provider and and never seeing God as your provider. There's a a danger in that, you know. That trap can keep people from their calling. How about this? This is what, you know, happens sometimes. You're called to be a missionary. You just need to get yourself financially secure first. And once you're okay, then you'll pursue the things God's asked you to do. Just make sure you get yourself financially secure, right? You know what? If you buy into the lie, the problem is that day never comes. And then the calling never happens. 
And you miss out on building the kingdom a number of ways because you just didn't see things the way that they are. And if you go, oh my gosh, I think I've heard some of those things. I've got good news for you. I've got an antidote for you today. I want to tell you what it is. John Wesley said, when I have more money, I give it away lest it find its way into my heart. You've got to make sure that money doesn't find its way into your heart. Here's what you need to do. Purposely give generously and regularly. Don't just throw it around because that's just not being a good steward. I'm not encouraging poor stewardship, but purposefully, intentionally give and give generously and give on a regular basis so it's not like Christmas. It doesn't happen once a year. You just do it all the time. It is the best way to ensure that your money doesn't have you. Second way, you ready for this? Pursue your calling. Pursue your calling. Because when you pursue that, then God becomes your master. And everything else is a means to do what God's called you to do. That means that money no longer has your heart. It just becomes the thing that you use to establish His kingdom on earth. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all the things that you need shall be added unto you. Pursue your calling. This is exactly what Paul said to Timothy. What does he say at the end? He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. What does he say? He says, uh, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness because those things are eternal. See, church, listen, you got to see the big picture here. This is what Paul says to Tim at the end. This is my advice to you. See the big picture. Your life is what happens between two moments of nakedness. Don't waste this time. See the big picture. You know how he draws Tim's attention to the big picture? He says this, he says, uh, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. You see, when you, when you see God that big, when you see God the way that it is, He's drawing Tim's attention away from all the stuff that could distract you. He says, when you focus on that, when you see God the way He is, you'll be released to do what you need to do. Here is the truth. Let me give you the heads up right now, okay? So let's get on, the, on that page right now. Either one of two things are going to happen. You're going to die and meet Jesus or He's going to come back and meet you on the way. And when that happens, what will all the things that you accumulated in your life declare about you? What will they testify about you? As you begin to stack them up in your life, Will they testify that Jesus was your Lord and your Saviour and that you used that to worship Him? Or will it say, you laid up stuff for yourself, you built your wealth around you because you thought it would keep you safe. It's like a high wall in your imagination and you missed the point of what you were supposed to do between the moments of nakedness, this pilgrimage called life. What will your 
wealth say about you? What will it testify about you? You know, the thing is, is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what that says to me? It says, if Jesus is my treasure, then my heart is with Him. That I care about Him. That I love Him. That I pursue my calling. And I use everything that I've got to make sure it happens. Because that is the big picture. And that is the most important thing you can do with this thing called your life. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.